And welcome in, everybody, to the Hear Me Out Sports Talk podcast. Josh Pose and Nick Palazzolo with you talking March Madness. Josh, it is March. Lots to get to today going on in the college basketball world. Tyler Aki of ESPN 1000 will be joining us to preview all things March because, as John Rothstein once said, this is March. This is March. Josh, it is March. It is March. This is March. My Badgers lost to a Fred Hoiberg-led Nebraska team, so I'm still kind of, uh, you know, reeling in from that. I was traveling back from uh, northern Wisconsin, and I was watching it on my phone, and I was just very disappointed. But I'm with Barstool oh, Big Cat. The you. game shouldn't count because they tried to kill Johnny Davis, potentially oh, the national player you. of the year. Yeah, you, you're an you. Indiana fan. I'm you're an Indiana, Indiana fan. I've, I've gone through it all this week. I went through all the emotions. I went through 80 minutes. Of just happiness, anger, uh, things being thrown around, swear words, swear words being said. You so no. If, if if you want to say a Nebraska loss after coming off the win against Purdue to clinch a share of the Big Ten championship is such a bad thing, then maybe you should step in my shoes right now. You know what? You know what? Let's start there. I, I know we talked before I even hit record, but but let's start co-champions. What is your thought on a co-champion? Like, I know it's regular season. The Big Ten will play this tournament starting Wednesday, I believe. But what are your thoughts on just just being crowned a co-champion? Uh, I actually had this conversation with my dad last night because I, I and people who are Illinois fans can come after me. I'm an Illinois I'm an Illinois basketball hater. I cannot stand Brad Underwood and all everything he stands for. Um. I made fun of everyone celebrating in the storm of the court, which don't get me started about storming the court when you're a home favorite against a team that's ranked lower than you. Um, you're sharing it. It's kind of like the Olympics. I don't know if you've seen the Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart video yeah. where they, they, they agree to share. It should just be one winner. And I get there is a tournament and there will be one winner in the tournament. That's right. what makes me feel a little bit better. But I don't like the idea of co-champions. I think like if, if, was, if Illinois had the tiebreaker, and Illinois should be conference champions. Right. Yeah, I, I'm you know with I mean? you. And it's like, I saw this um, one tweet. I think it, I, I can't remember who it was, but the tweet, and I think I repeated it, uh, retweeted it. So go check out my time limit. It's probably on there somewhere um, at Nick Palazzolo5. As always, you can follow Pose at Pose underscore Josh on Twitter. Um, Not during March. <laughs> well, yeah, that would be a bad idea. But there was a tweet that said you shouldn't be crowned a big champion winner. If you're, you shouldn't be a, the winner of the big 10. If you're banking on Nebraska to lose, like you shouldn't have, like if you're a champion of a conference, you shouldn't have to bank on some, like the cards falling your way. Josh, well, what are your thoughts on that? Cause there's a difference between winning a conference outright and, you know, winning because, you know, Nebraska beat Wisconsin. So just what are your thoughts on, you know, having like, I understand this is like a co-champion thing, but just what are your thoughts on that real quick? No, if you look at every other sport, let's go with the NFL. The Bears got into the playoffs thanks to the Rams winning. I mean, True. every sport has that. It's not you won enough. To put yourself in, in John Rossi, if we're going to keep going, you're in position to be in position. 
and that's what Illinois was in it with, and they, they kept themselves in throughout the year. They started off with Kofi Coburn out, and they kept battling. You got to give credit to them. They they weren't really sure they were picked to finish high. I mean, we can give all the credit to Greg Gard. He should be the the coach of the year in the Big Ten, if not national. But they deserve it as much as Wisconsin does to have at least a share of the Big Ten at this point. Okay, so you brought up coaches. Let's talk Coach K. Coach K, um, you know, had his uh, kumbaya, his retirement season. They lost to um, North Carolina. It was unacceptable. It was unacceptable, as he said. What's your major, son? What's your major? I'm Duke. Um, But, Josh, you know, Coach K undoubtedly will have one of the greatest legacies just in the history. of, of sports really for coach K, but just what, what are your thoughts on a retirement tour in general? I personally think it's overrated. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to remember your retirement tour. So just what are your thoughts on retirement tours as a whole? Um, I, I, I don't like them, especially with the coach like coach K that, you know, will be in the tournament that year. And the NCAA, and I don't, I don't think it'll happen this year, or I hope it doesn't happen ever. They'll be officiating games to get him to Chicago for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, and then from there on out, right. you try to get him his national championship on his way out. I don't want to say that'll happen because I just think this Duke team. I think I think Saturday night was a flaw, flawed game for them. I think they needed that game, so that now they can go to the ACC tournament and say, hey, we're not invincible. But I, I don't like retirement tours. And granted, I would have liked Bobby Knight to have that to see if Purdue would have given him a gift, as we talked about yesterday. So, yeah, overall, not a huge fan. Yeah, yeah well, and, and I mean, you, you can't – well, you, you can like Coach K, you can like Duke, whatever. I personally, I don't care. Duke's been a successful basketball staple. They're one of the blue blood, friend, uh, you know, colleges. You know, uh, uh, Coach K was the standard, but I don't need this kumbaya. I, I, I don't need it. Like, I think it's stupid. We will now talk college basketball with Tyler Aki. He will join us next. We now welcome in Tyler Aki, uh, broadcasting extraordinaire at ESPN 1000. You can follow him on Twitter at Tyler Aki underscore Tyler. First of all, thank you for your time. Of course, fellas, always open to any invitation talking college hoops, especially this time of year. It seems like it's the only crowd that will listen to me for the 12 months <laughs> on the calendar. So pleasure to speak with you both. Yeah, well, Tyler, like I'm one of those like I love I like college basketball in March. Really don't pay attention. You and Josh both pay attention a lot more than I do, like from the opening tip, the usually the uh, the sanctioned tournaments at the beginning of the year. What basically once the Super Bowl is over is like that's when I start casually watching. Um, but you know, I I f- go in and out of watching it during the football season. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Was there ever a team this whole season that was just better throughout the whole season, or was it just kind of up for grabs the whole year? It was definitely up for grabs the whole year. You saw teams have their flashes at times, like Auburn was the darling for a little bit. Duke was at the top for a little. You've seen Gonzaga. They're the number one right now. They've been the number one for most of the season. Kentucky has been really strong all season long, too. So there have certainly been some teams. Baylor, I mean, the the list can go on and on. There's really 
one of the deeper crops of tournament caliber teams. I wouldn't point to one team and say, oh yeah, they're head and shoulders above everyone else. Kind of like you could last year when you looked at Gonzaga and Baylor. I don't even think you can create a tier per se of teams that has been quote unquote better than everyone else the entirety of the season. I do think it's a, a deep crop of eight, 10, maybe even 12 teams that could win a title this year. Yeah. You talk about, there's a list where we're, what about Providence? They're, they're what, 20, 27 and four, I thought, somewhere, somewhere mm-hmm. along those lines. But Ken Palm has them in the 30s, and they're, they're number one in luck this year. And, they've, and I, saw, I saw, I think it was a tweet, that they've won like 15 single-digit games and only have three losses. And teams like that don't fare well in the tournament. What do you think they'll fare in the tournament? Well, you brought up the luck statistic. Not only are they the luckiest team, according to Ken Palm, basically what luck is, is based on your metrics, should you have won the game? And it kind of swings you either way. Um, But based on, they're not just the luckiest team this season. They're the luckiest team all time in Ken Palm history. And I believe it's by a decently significant margin as well. But when you look at what Providence did, I mean, there's something to be said about going about over the course of a 30 something game season, taking care of business and they've took care of business. They're the big East regular season champs. Now what happens? And that's the part that kind of gets a little bit tricky. Once you get into the tournament, like they're obviously a tournament caliber team. Um, but when you do get into the tournament, what happens when one of those luck things goes against you? because it's one and done. It's not a series. Like if we were talking a series here, I'd feel decent about maybe talking about Providence as a potential national champion. But when it's a team that has been on the right side of a lot of quote unquote luck all season long, what happens when the format changes and you're not allowed to lose games really anymore for Providence gets a little bit dicey. I mean, you brought up all the the close games that they've played in. I mean, three overtime games in the final was this five games that they had to, to close out the season Th- three of the final six to close out the season went to overtime. And, and I like to see teams that can show that they can go out, not necessarily blow out teams, but win in convincing fashion by 10, eight points and feel comfortable for, I like to say, leave no doubt for 40 minutes. And that's something that they haven't really done a whole heck of a lot this year. So it worries me in a one and done format. Uh, Tyler, when we look at, let's put March, we'll put the 64 team tournament. Let's focus in on the conference tournaments. The Big Mm -hmm. Ten last year, a lot of people predicted in in the March Madness format, you know, they were going to run the table. They went eight, nine the whole the um during the tournament. What do you Mm -hmm. think of what are you looking for specifically in the Big Ten tournament in the conference tournament format to propel a team into the the, uh, big tournament? I want to see whose point guards come to play because one thing about the big 10 is the, the big men are going to win you games during the regular season. Your Kofi Coburn's your, your Zach Edie's your Travion Williams, uh, your EJ Liddell's Hunter Dickinson's like those guys can win you games in the regular season. But at the end of the day, point guard play is what dictates championships and what kind of runs the NCAA tournament. And I want to see this big 10 group sort of establish themselves with a class of, point guards or lead guards in general. Um, 
And that's something that I think really bit them because it was a very weak point guard class last year. And then I look at the the guards or the lead guards that, that they have this year. I need to see some guys step up. What's going to happen with Andre Curbelo at Illinois? Can Trent Frazier continue to play that he is with the Illini right now? Johnny Davis, can he, first of all, what's his health situation? And can he keep this sustained success as well? Jaden Ivey, can he be engaged the entirety of these tournament games as well? So it kind of goes on and on as you move down the list as well. It's just not a really strong group of, of point guards in this class uh, of Big Ten play. And I feel like the centers, it, it's sort of like the, the old adage in football is offense will win you games, defense will win you championships. And I kind of think it's it's a similar ilk in college basketball where it's like big men will win you games, point guards are going to win you championships. And we're going to need to see improved point guard play across the board in the Big Ten. So on the topic of Big Ten and championships, Big Ten hasn't had a team win the national championship since the 2000 season with Michigan State. And Nick and I go back and forth on this all the time, and so does everyone else on Twitter. The Big Ten officiating has just been brutal this year. Is there any correlation to Big Ten officiating where it's tackle basketball or just you breathe on a guy, the inconsistency until they get to the tournament where it's completely different officiated game? No, I, I don't think it really has a whole lot to do because at the end of the game, at the end of the day, games aren't decided by officials. I know people like to point to, oh, a call here. If it went our way, then our team would have won. But I don't think that's the case. It's, it's a 40 minute game for a reason. All right. They don't play for five minutes because then you could start to really point to officiating. But it's a drawn out 40 minute game. And the other part is, is these big 10 officials also are going to be officiating in a number of these games as well in the, the NCAA tournament. So you do every once in a while, get one of your, your big 10 officials in, in your games too. So I'm not, I would never point to officiating as a, a reason. I, I will rarely point to officiating as the reason a team loses a game, let alone why a conference has gone 20 something years without a, an NCAA tournament ever since Michigan state. Um, because guess what? I mean, are we going to say the Pac-12? Pac-12 hasn't won since I believe it's 1999 when Arizona did it in Lute Olson. So are we going to say it's different in the Pac-12? They're kind of going through their same drought that the Big Ten is. It's not like they haven't had tournament cal or championship caliber programs. It's just kind of the, the luck of the draw, it feels like. And I also don't think that the NCAA tournament is the best way to pick a champion either. Sure, it's got the flair for the dramatics. You get the upsets, and that's why we love it. That's why we love March. But at the end of the day, the best team every single year isn't necessarily picked in the NCAA, isn't eventually crowned the champion in the NCAA tournament, much like it is, I would say, in, in a sport like uh, at the NBA or MLB, hockey. And I even think, to a degree, football has it a little bit better because the field is much more confined. Like, are you going to see upsets? Yes but the field is much more confined in terms of, I can't even keep track of how many teams get into the playoffs now in football, but it's like 14 of the, the 32, whereas it, it, you're looking at a field of 68 teams that enter the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you, you mentioned, especially in March, you know, as I remember, I think this was sophomore year of high school. It's like, you know, everybody during lunch, they all had their Chromebooks. We'd kind of stack them, have one game oh, yeah. each Chromebook, you know, that whole kind of a thing. But you mentioned it, not the best team wins. So when you go about filling out your bracket, you can't always depend on 
you know, the best team, because like you said, based on my first question is like, there really hasn't been a team that's run the table the whole year. So what do you look for when you're filling out your break? I know there's stats based on, you know, rebounds and three point shooting and defensive efficiency and all that kind of stuff. But with not being able to have the best team potentially win, how do you go about filling out a bracket? So the thing that I start, I almost work backwards to a degree. I think of who can be the champion first and then kind of let the cards fall where they may the other way. Because at the end of the day, when you're filling out your bracket with the way that the point systems are on all these different bracket sites, picking your champion is the most important thing. Picking your champion has the same amount of point values as if you got every single game in the first round right. So if you pick your champion, you're giving yourself a huge leg up. It is very rare that you are going to win a bracket challenge without picking the champion right. So that's where I start. I try to find who I think the champion will be first. And by that, I look at the path that they have, um, some of the key injuries that may be plaguing the, the region that they're in as well. I just I like to knock that part out first couple of the the attributes I look for I look for okay can there do can I see that point guard maneuvering this team in a it, through some of these crunch time situations and, and part of what I look for there is turnovers can this team take care of the basketball that is one of my most important criteria another one is can they play defense and if they can't play defense can they play in a shootout because if you can't do that, then you're probably not going to give yourself a very good chance to win. And then the other thing that I really look for is your ability to keep teams off the offensive glass, not allow these second chance opportunities because those come back to bite. And then, of course, everyone's favorite that they like to look to is the free throw shooting. Can you make free throws in late crunch time situations? If you can't do a lot of those things, a lot of those criteria, then I'm likely not going to pick you as my champion. So Another thing that I also look for is I, I've noticed this a couple times over the past handful of seasons, but when things aren't going wrong, do you have a role player that can keep you afloat? I look back, I think one of the quintessential examples of this is Dante DiVincenzo with Villanova a couple seasons ago. There were a couple games where Villanova was just sluggish, out of it, slow first half. But they had Dante DiVincenzo go off in some big performances. He had, I can't remember who they played in the second round. I think it was, it may have been Florida State. Um, he played, they played Florida State and DiVincenzo was sort of the one that kept him afloat in that game. And then everyone else sort of got into a gear, picked it up. Mikel Bridges played fantastic. Jalen Brunson played fantastic in that second half. And then it propelled them to a victory. So do you have a guy that can be, sort of the, the steady force. Sometimes it's a bench guy, too. A guy that can come off the bench and give you a, a quick 10, 12 points in that first half to sort of keep you afloat. So I look for guys that can do that as well. I think it all kind of plays into a little formula here to try to pick a champion. Yeah, and Tyler, so you, you, hang on, Josh. Oh, you, you touched on it, especially on the free throw shooting, especially watching Iowa, Illinois last night as a Wisconsin <laughs> fan, hoping that Iowa could just beat Illinois. They were 10 of 22 from the line. Like, mm -hmm. like, especially in March, you know, anything can happen in March. You know, UNC can beat Duke during the Coach K Kumbaya retirement tour. We'll get to that <laughs> later. But it's like, you're right. If you can't shoot from the line, you know, essentially, you know, oh, how can you not make those? But I, I wanted to ask you about fans. 
you know, this mm -hmm. last year, there really wasn't any fans. I think it was just limited to a select number of friends and family. But how do you think fans are going to affect this tournament, especially at the free throw line? I don't think it will do a ton for the free throw line. But one thing you have to remember, too, with these NCAA tournaments is that the tickets are sold in sessions. So what happens is you buy a ticket, you get in for anywhere between, I think, two and four games depending on what, what it's like for the day. So what you'll see is let's say there's a, so there's a, a, a section of games that are going to be held in Indianapolis this year. All right. And Purdue is going to be playing in, let's say Purdue's playing in Indianapolis. Those Purdue fans might only go to that one game with Purdue's game, and then they'll leave. And then you're missing that void of fans. Or if they do stay, there may not be a rooting interest because just because the game's in Indianapolis doesn't necessarily mean that Purdue is in that sort of conversation of maybe facing that team down the road. It all gets sort of jumbled along the way. So I don't think fans in terms of, but don't get me wrong. It, it's great to have the fans back, but it's not something that I think necessarily impacts a tournament game per se, just because of the fact that, you're pretty much dividing the stadium into four different fan bases as opposed to two. Um, even though a, a place like Indianapolis, obviously Purdue will be the heavy contingent there, but you got to remember Purdue would be a, a heavy favorite over whoever they're likely playing on that site as well. So this week, conference championships, conference tournaments, not championships. I'm going to go over, we're, we're Midwest in here, uh, Big Ten. Mm -hmm. And the game that intrigues me, not just because I have rooting interest, is Michigan-Indiana. I mean, you got two teams that are on the bubble. you got 17 and 13. Michigan and Indiana, I believe, is 18 and 12. Is this more of a play-in game? Or does Indiana have to win two in the Big Ten tournament? I would say the way that Indiana sort of closed their season, it probably have to win two. For Michigan, on the other hand, this might be a play-in game. But again – we're sort of in the early stages of bid stealers and whatnot. And I think so far for all intents and purposes, if you are a bubble team, this past week of conference tournaments has kind of gone your way. Murray state was held off, held on rather, I should say to win the OVC. So there's not going to be a bid stealer out of the Ohio Valley. Loyola won their conference tournament and that sort of eliminates a potential bid stealer as well. So I think if you're if you're one of these bubble teams, I think you're feeling a little bit better based on what you've seen. But you still have a whole nother week of stuff that you got to sort of wait out. Like maybe we see some sort of surprise out of the WCC. If that happens, then you're sweating a little bit if you're a Big Ten team like Michigan or Indiana or something of that sort. So I, to answer your original question here, I think Indiana would probably have to win twice because. First of all, your, your victory over Michigan, I don't think is going to be held in some sort of quality right now. I, and I think Indiana probably needs a few more quality wins. I shouldn't say a few more, one more quality win to feel really good about its chances, um, which that Purdue game would have done wonders for their chances of, of getting in. Um, but in terms of Michigan, it's probably beat Indiana and then you're in, but Michigan's a team that I don't feel very good about going into this whole dance because they've been inconsistent. They haven't had good point guard play. They're not getting the ball to their best player. And Oh, by the way, their best coach on their staff might be an assistant. 
in, in Phil Martelli. He's been fantastic. He was fantastic at St. Joe's before he came. And I think he's a big reason why Michigan has had the success that they have had as well. So over the past handful of seasons under Jawan Howard. So I, I'm not super bullish on either of these teams, regardless of whether or not they get in. But if you're asking just can't who's getting in. Yeah, this is somewhat of a playing game more so for Michigan than I think Indiana. I think Indiana would have another step they'd have to take. So you just mentioned Jawan Howard and we all saw what happened. Nick and I were talking about it. And I texted Nick last night after I saw that Michigan beat Ohio State. Is Michigan better off without Jawan Howard? Because I feel like they've been playing just a better style of basketball these past few games, the past five, actually. I mean, you look at the games, and again, the Big Ten is always a fight, but you look at some of the games, the Ohio State victory was certainly impressive. But you look at some of the others and how the stretch of games that Phil Martelli got, he got four of his final five games at home. And that's a big thing in college basketball. Winning on the road is unbelievably tough, especially in a conference like the Big Ten. And for you to split those those four home games, you would have liked to have another win in there. I think if you're going four and one in that stretch, and this is not to take anything away from Phil Martelli, I think given the circumstances and given the lineup of opponents he had, pretty good stuff there but you look at some of the games that really could have tilted your and made you a lock heading into this big 10 tournament you beat illinois or you beat iowa then you're in but you beat Rutgers; they're a fringe team right now you beat michigan state they haven't looked all that impressive throughout the course of the season i i'm not going to say michigan is necessarily better off without Jawan Howard or with Phil Martelli rather as the head coach, I think it, it's sort of split in hairs, but you just got to remember that Phil Martelli has been a guy who's done it before he's gone and run through a number of NCAA tournaments and he's done it with lesser talent, quite frankly. I mean, think about Jawan Howard. He's been surrounded by some of the best of the best. He played with LeBron James. He may have even been a coach on that staff when LeBron was, was playing for the Miami Heat. He's been around Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. He's been around some of the best basketball players of all time. And sometimes it's tough when you can't just say, okay, LeBron, go out and get me a dunk right here, right? It's a little bit tougher when you have to squeeze the extra juice out of players. And that's something that Phil Martelli has to do when he was at St. Joe's and you're coaching these mid-major programs. You're not getting these five-star blue chippers. You're, not, you're barely getting four-star guys into your program. You're relying on a lot of three-star guys and trying to extract as much talent and, and get every last bit out of those sort of guys to make them the basketball players that they become. And to me, that is what I call the, sort of the art of coaching. And that's something that Phil Martelli has done time and time again. And that's not to say, I think Jawan Howard is still going to be a, a good coach in college basketball, but he hasn't had to do the quote unquote coaching part as much as a, if Phil Martelli has. Tyler, let's stay in the Big Ten. You, you got Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin. All of those, all of those teams are, are fighting for seeding. Purdue and Wisconsin are fighting for a two seed in the tournament. Um, do you think it's possible that if, let's say, Wisconsin wins the Big Ten tournament, do you think Purdue and Wisconsin could potentially get a two seed? Because you look, it could be Villanova, it could be Tennessee, it could be Texas Tech, could be Wisconsin, could be Purdue. There, it still feels like there's a lot of teams in in the mix for grabbing a two seed. So do you see, you know, how 
how much will they weigh winning a conference tournament or playing conference tournament when it comes to determining the two seed? It's a lot. And you look at the group that is sort of bunched up right now for these seeds, uh, these, especially these top two seeds right now. I mean, the SEC has got a number of contenders there. When you look at Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, you've got Arizona out of the Pac-12. You've got Kansas and Baylor in the Big 12, Duke out of the ACC, um, Nova and Providence out of the Big East. And then, like you mentioned, the, the Purdue, Wisconsin class of teams as well. It's going to, it'll certainly weigh in, but you just got to remember, it's going to be one of those things where, because there's so many different pieces here and and some of these conferences have two or three teams jockeying for position, there's going to be some carnage that is going to be self-inflicted as well. And I think that's something that you'll see out of the big 10, out of the sec. Some of these teams are just going to knock themselves out because they're not winning their conference tournament or not getting to their conference championship games. And that ultimately is going to be deciding factors in rounding out these top eight teams, the, the, the top two seeds. It's going to play heavily. And that's part of why this time of year is so fun to watch because you don't know what's going to happen in a lot of these conference tournaments. Like you could see a team, like, especially in some of these deeper conferences, like what if Baylor, Kansas goes out there and loses in the first round of the big 12, Well, you're docking them all the way down to a, a, two or a three seed probably you're talking about with how congested it is pretty much teams one through 16 i would say right now in the ap poll with how close everything is you could see teams drop two or three seed lines if they have an early exit in their conference tournaments so you talked about the conference tournaments and other than the seeding factor of it how important is it to get to the Saturday to, or to Sunday for a team's confidence and not having to go because tournament starts on Thursday? How important is it to have a game on Saturday or Sunday so you're not going a week or six days? I think it's pretty important um, just because playing with confidence is something that is quintessential when you get into March. And again, I don't think there's a lot of unconfident teams per se when you get into the NCAA tournament, but there's something to be said about the, the confidence booster. I mean, how many times do we see a team that is in the first four make it to the elite eight or the final four? I mean, I think every year since the first four, there's been at least one team that's emerged and gone to the sweet 16. I mean, we saw it last year with a, a team like UCLA who was on the brink in the first four. And then before you knew it, they were in the final four. So I think from a, Certainly you get into the conversation of rust versus rest too. I think just having that sort of ability to perform in crunch time and just kind of go through it, it does, it does something for you. It gets these guys going. And I think it's helpful for the coaches too, to evaluate lineups a little bit further as well. Once you get deeper and deeper into these tournament runs and just playing under the pressure and sort of playing under the gun too, of if we lose, it's over. I think that does a lot for, for building and battle testing a lot of these guys as well. Tyler, you know, there, there's a lot of conference tournaments happening. I remember in 2020, just walking down the, uh, the hallway. I can't remember. I think I was going to math, but, you know, just getting all the tweets of like, you know, this tournament's canceled, this tournament's canceled, this tournament's canceled. So, you know, the hype is definitely there for conference tournaments. Um, is there a specific conference you're looking at specifically 
or a, a team that we should be watching for during a conference tournament? In terms of trying to make a leap or like kind of building themselves up for a, a deep March run? No, let's do both. Okay. Um, in terms of a team that I think could really use it to take a leap, I'm looking at a couple of those Big Ten teams, whether it's Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois. I think all those, whoever wins the Big Ten tournament, even though if you were to base it off of the, the AP poll today that just came out, none of the Big Ten teams would be a top two seed. But I think with the nature of the Big Ten and the wins that you would pick up along the way and the fact that teams ahead of them are going to lose – the winner of the Big Ten, and maybe even if you get the right matchup in the championship game, will be top two seeds, maybe even work your way into the conversation for a one seed as well. What I, what I would say is for a team that I want to watch to maybe see if they can make a deeper March run is Texas. I've really thought Texas has played inconsistent season long, but they started to turn a corner towards the end of the season. And I think a big reason why is – they're a roster that was built up of a lot of transfers. When Chris Beard got at the beginning of the season, the first thing he did was hit the portal hard, and he brought in a lot of really talented players. And I think when you bring in that many pieces, it can be rough in the early stages. It was rough for Texas out of the gate. But I think that group is starting to mesh together, blend together a little bit more. They've played some really tough games down the stretch, and they've won some of these really tough games down the stretch. So if they can string together, and last year Texas won the Big 12 tournament, remember, if they can string together a series of games here in the Big 12 tournament against some really strong competition, and they have a really tough game right out of the gate. I believe they play TCU to open up the, the Big 12 tournament. If Texas can put together a little bit of a run, I think that would be, be really, really good for their tournament chances into the Sweet 16-8 or maybe even the Final Four. Uh, so, uh, obviously I'm assuming you're just like me and, and you look at bracketology starting when Joe Lenardi puts it out there in October. <laughs> what is, what is that one bracketology? Cause everyone needs that one bracketologist to trust. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can't really trust Jerry Palm and you don't really want to <laughs> trust Joe Lenardi because of their titles. Just give them the, the clout. Some might say. Mm -hmm. I look at bracket matrix all the time, but what is that one site you look on to know I trust these people? I wouldn't say like at the end of the day, we're getting to the stage of this stuff has been studied so much. I think like Joe Lenardi teaches a class at St. Joe's, I believe on, on bracketology, which is crazy that that's even a part of a curriculum. Um, but I look at, I look at bracket matrix a lot, like you said, where it's just like a composite of everybody kind of compiling all their, their seedings and stuff, but we're at an advanced stage now where this stuff has been studied. These guys have Intel They They talk with people within the committee all the time to the point where it's all so close where you're maybe missing one team at this point. And so that's why I, I don't mess. I listen, you may miss one, two teams here, I think for the most part, all these guys are pretty good. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of stock into one guy, not as much stock in another guy. I just kind of take it all in, see what I see, and then kind of let my eye test do, do the rest. Like, all right, let's say this, this bracketologist has Indiana out of the tournament and this bracketologist has Indiana in the tournament. Well, who, do, who are kind of the mismatched teams? 
compare the resumes, and then that I'll kind of form my own opinion. Who's playing well down the stretch? All that sort of stuff kind of goes into the calculus that I look at. So I wouldn't single a guy out saying they're great. I wouldn't single a guy out saying they suck either. I think it's kind of, it all sort of meets in the middle and we're, we're splitting hairs. Like some guys probably going to go 68 for 68 on Sunday. Some guys probably going to go 67 for 68. Some guys probably going to go 64 for 68. At the end of the day, I don't necessarily care about predicting the bracket, right. As much as I like the art of like placing, like, we don't pick the bracket. We pick the teams to advance in the tournament. And that's more, more of my fascination of this time of year. Tyler, is there a team that you think, let's do this. Is there a team that you think is uh, overrated and a team that's underrated in college basketball heading into the tournament? Team that I think is, I'll start with, with the underrated team. And I think it's Illinois. I really do like what they started to find late in the season. Um, they're getting better guard play. They're getting um, some really nice performances out of guys like Alfonso Plummer. Uh, I think Trent Frazier is going to be a real asset for this team as well. And there's very few guys in the entire country that can guard Kofi Coburn as well. So I, I'll look at them as an underrated team. I'll also look at Tennessee, I think, as an underrated team, just one that's kind of hung around there all season long. Haven't really had a, a ton of hiccups per se that made you feel really bad about them. I think Tennessee's a, a sleeper candidate to win the SEC as well. They rebound the basketball really well. They hit their shots and they take care of the basketball as well. Kind of getting back to the formula that I was concocting early on. And then in terms of a team that may be a little bit overrated, I would, unfortunately, Nick, I, I hate to point to them, but Wisconsin, like, what happens without Johnny Davis or what happens if Johnny Davis goes cold for a game? I, I I'm not a huge fan of teams that rely too heavily on one player. And a lot of people will always point to UConn as being, Oh, look at the, the Kemba run, but like the Kemba runs are kind of one in a million too. So I, I, I hate to put too much stock into a team that if you took their best player off that team, they're probably not even an NIT team. And Wisconsin is one of those candidates for me. It's tough for me to really buy into that. And, and we even saw it against, you know, the Garpax legend and Fred Hoiberg, you know, the Badgers <laughs> lost Johnny Davis very early in the second half. And then I think, I think they were up 10 or 12 at one point in the second half and they just, they just couldn't do anything. So, so, so I completely understand where you're coming from, but do you think in the tournament it, it's not necessarily about your best player. It's more about the collective group. So do you think, you know, Johnny Davis just carries Wisconsin so much that the collective group can't pick up where Johnny Davis would leave off? Yeah. I mean, it comes down to what happens if Johnny Davis faces a, a bad matchup against a really strong defender, like what happens then? Can you get something out of the, the Crowls, the Walls, the Davisons, that group of players? Are they going to be able to step up? Is there someone off the bench that can step up and perform for you as well? That's why the team aspect is so important. That's part of why I think the point guard aspect is so important too. Guys that can get other guys involved in that sort of fashion as well. Set up easy buckets for your team. Play defense and create transition opportunities. So I, that's why I always look at and that's why I, I'm, uh, I've been hesitant really on Wisconsin all season long because that, that loss to Nebraska kind of showed me it was kind of the, the not aha moment, but all the 
it's the moment that the the haters are pointing to, right? Like, oh, this is what happens when Johnny Davis is out. The rest of the team can't pick up and you lose to one of the worst teams in all of the power five. So it's certainly something that I'm going to be monitoring. I, I'd imagine Johnny Davis will be good to go for the tournament. Maybe he misses some so a Big Ten tournament game. I don't know. I haven't seen any update on his health quite yet, but I, I try to avoid teams that are too single-player dependent. I think another team like that is Auburn, too, a team that relies a lot on Jabari Smith to do a lot. And Jabari Smith, just like Johnny Davis, is a special talent, but sometimes you, you have a bad night, you get a bad matchup. I don't think there's really a lot of bad matchups for Jabari Smith. It's tough to stop 6'10 guys that can shoot over the top of anyone, but teams like that where maybe your point guard's not getting guys involved or your point guard is trying to do too much himself and not letting the best players on the floor flourish. And that's something that I think has been a bit of a problem with Auburn down the stretch here. So Tyler, I look at a team like Wisconsin, I say they don't have a big guy, but then I look at a team like Iowa who doesn't really, other than Keegan Murray, doesn't really have that true, like Keegan Murray's a great player. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong, but he's not, not miles ahead of his entire team because they've actually caught up over the season. They they were picked to finish near the bottom of the Big Ten this year. But what usually happens with Fran McCaffrey is February. It's Fran February. He sucks. And he's a terrible coach, and they don't win. But this year, they, they've been a completely different team these past two months. And they've rid, rode a hot streak. I think they're 14th in Ken Palmer, the net right now. Uh, yeah, in Ken Palmer, they're 15, or in the net, they're 15. Is that a team that's primed for a big run in, well, the, look- in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, if you look at how they close the season, so their final six games, they go five and one. But the real game that if you wanted to feel really good about yourself, if you're Iowa, was that game against Illinois. And you had it in your clutches, too. But look at some of the teams they beat along the way here, right? Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan State's having a down season. Plus, you had that game at home. Iowa State on the – or Ohio State, I should say, on the road, I think is a pretty impressive win. Michigan is kind of an out of sorts group right now. So nothing really overly impressive down the stretch. The thing about Iowa is they had a really tough start to to conference play, maybe about as tough as you could get to start your conference play. When you talk about before you even get to the new year, you have to take on Purdue and Illinois, and then you open up the, the second portion with, with, um, Maryland's nothing too, too tough, but, but then you go on the road to Wisconsin, but they close out the season with relative ease and don't get me wrong. They took care of business, but in terms of, if you're talking them up to be a potential team to make a run, you got to do a little bit more than take care of business. You got to be able to go out there and show that you can beat some of these big time opponents. And I look through some of their wins throughout the year. Like you didn't beat Purdue you didn't beat um, Illinois. You had both of those teams twice on your schedule. Um, you, it's just like the top of the top in terms of the teams that Iowa beat, it's just not there. It's not nearly the, the resume type of stuff that you want to see. Even a team like Indiana has beaten some good teams this year. When you look at like their win against Purdue, um, teams like if you're going to go conference hop in here, like Notre Dame has beaten a team like Kentucky. Um, so like, those are the sort of wins that you want to see throughout the season. Otherwise you're just another team. And to me, I just look at Iowa and it's like, ah, they're just kind of another team because they haven't really beaten anyone of significance throughout the course of the season. So you talk about teams that 
beat Purdue, and of course, I mentioned Indiana because I like when people mention Indiana. <laughs> um, they're eighteen and twelve. They have eighteen wins. I know their non-conference schedule wasn't great. Is there a game that you look back and say they'd be in if they didn't lose this game? You're talking about in their non-conference schedule? Uh, no, in or any part in, of their schedule. Any in, part in of general. Their, yes. I, I think there's a couple sore spots that really stand out to me when you look at Indiana's resume. The stre- I mean, February was disastrous for this team. I, I'm looking Trust at me, it right I, now. They I were, remember. They were two and five, and you lose the first five in that stretch you lose games against Northwestern and you had a home game that you played close with Wisconsin. You go to overtime with Ohio state, like you get two of those you're comfortably in. And then the other one that I look back to is back in the big 10 ACC challenge against Syracuse. I mean, that was a game that they really would have, I mean, you look back at some of the, like, I'm trying to remember what game it was. I think it was an Indiana Michigan game. I want to say, um, or maybe it was Maryland. It's some, it was some game on, that I was watching on CBS, I remember. It was Michigan right after they beat Purdue. Was it? Yeah, that might have been yeah. it. And they're showing the the Indiana resume, and it's like got some bad losses. And, like, most years Syracuse isn't a bad loss, but the way that this Syracuse team has played this year, it is a bad loss. That's a sub-500 basketball team. And you had that – you didn't – I shouldn't say you had that game because – they didn't, they were getting blown out early on, made a run in the second half, made some adjustments against that defense. Um, but that's a game that you went to double overtime. So you had some cracks to win it and you didn't, you missed a lot of big shots down this, a lot of wide open shots too, down the stretch. Story of and, the season. and that's been the, the big bugaboo, like you kind of alluded to. Um, they need to have, they needed to have some of those games and do they have the flashier wins? in their resume right now than some of these other teams. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you look at some other game. I mean, Penn state you're losing in, in a close game. Like some of these, you had to flip if you're Indiana, like th- this is a big should have had it season. I feel like for Mike Woods and it's his first year in college basketball. So, or back in college basketball, I should say. So you feel like you had a couple of these games in your clutches and you just couldn't close them out. And that's something that's going to probably change in the next year or two with Indiana. So um, I just look back at that February and I think that was probably the most disastrous stretch when, if you're going, if you go two and three during that five game stretch, you're a tournament team, but you're dropping five straight in a critical month and you're dropping was that seven of your last nine games going into the big 10 tournament. That's, that's stuff that's tough to, to rally back from. Tyler, what are some players we should be looking at in, in college basketball right now that'll be playing in the tournament in terms of the NBA draft? Well, that's the beauty of this year's draft is feels like every single guy that's going to go in the lottery, at least from a, a college standpoint, is going to be playing in the tournament too. So you've got some players out in Gonzaga, notably Chet Holmgrum. I think he's in the conversation to be the number one overall pick. I hit on Jabari Smith earlier. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Jaden Ivey is my no doubt favorite player to watch in all of college basketball right now. He just looks like a pro playing a college game right now. And that to me is, I mean, you see some of the alpha moments that he's had throughout the season, hitting fadeaway threes at the buzzer, hitting big shots like he did, even though he didn't end up winning the game against Wisconsin, but put, Purdue in a comeback situation against Wisconsin from about a week or two ago. Um, 
And then you got some guys at Kentucky. I, I really like Ty Ty Washington. I think he's a fantastic player. He's certainly going to make some noise at the next level. Arizona, Benedict Matherin is another guy that I really like. And then you got some Duke guys too. AJ Griffin and Paolo Bancaro. They're a lot of fun to watch. So that's the beauty of this year's tournament. You're not getting your Ben Simmons, who's not going to be playing in the tournament. You're not getting your Markel Fultz, who's not going to be playing in the tournament. Those guys don't really exist. The top of the top here from a college scouting standpoint are all going to be playing in the tournament and they're going to be playing in some meaningful games. And you're going to probably see some of them pitted up against each other, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So you, we, we talk about guys being in the tournament this year and draft lottery picks. And I saw last night, Kofi Coburn, they, they, they were, uh, when they were on the court, which don't get me started about a court storm there, but um, they were chanting one more year. And he, he said he's still open to it. Does the NIL really play a factor into that these days now? I think absolutely. I mean, you look at Kofi, you bring up Kofi Coburn, but another guy who's sort of talked about that is Oscar Shibway and just what some of these guys are doing with the NIL money that they bring in. I mean, Oscar Shibway moved his mother to the United States thanks to the money that he's brought in as being a member of the Kentucky Wildcats. And he said, that's a reason why he's thinking about staying at Kentucky. And you look at, I think it's probably going to impact more of the guys who could come back for a fifth year versus graduate, because they may look at some of their international offers or some of the G league teams that may be interested. I'll tell you right now, a lot of these kids, given what they would make in college will be more than what they'd make in the G league just through NIL. But overseas is where you start to get into a little bit of a dollars discrepancy. I would look at guys more that have the potential to come back, use that fifth year because of COVID as guys that will stay in college as opposed to go somewhere else, because the money is always going to be there overseas as long as you're staying healthy and not, there's no, nothing too serious on the injury front for you. And just the experience of being in college. I mean, guys love it. There, there's a number of guys that say they would have loved to go back another year, but were kind of pushed to the NBA because they had to go. Uh, you look at what Zion did a couple seasons ago. It felt like he wanted to go back to Duke, but when you're going to be the number one pick in the draft, it's tough to turn that down. Uh, the, the old tale with Carmelo Anthony is that Jim Beheim essentially forced him to go to the NBA. He was all set to come back for another year, but he wanted, he wanted to come back and play at Syracuse. But when you're going to be a pick as high as Carmelo Anthony was, and obviously it worked out for him um, when you're going to be a pick as high as you can be like, that's something that you got to factor in. And my, my whole thing is if you can go in terms of the NBA, go all you can, because you never know when that door is going to shut and the whole thing of these GMs don't want as much tread on the tires when they're taking chances on guys and, and drafting them. They want to take guys who are freshmen, sophomores, guys that are more of in their developmental stage, and they can add some of that stuff to their game. So once you get into becoming a junior and senior, you're kind of a, I won't say a finished product as a basketball player, but you can, people know who you are at least and what they're working with as much. Whereas when you're a freshman or sophomore, little more malleable, little more of a, a chance to add an extra dimension to your game. So I think we might see some of these 
fourth and fifth year guys hang around another year. I think the Ivy League transfers are going to be certainly very interesting for guys who were robbed of an extra season. Not only did they miss the COVID season or they're getting the COVID waiver, but they're also, they missed that one season because of COVID because the Ivy League did not participate. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys get extra waivers to hang around. But NIL, I think will play a bit of a factor, but I think it'll be more of you'll see guys come back because of COVID reasons and, and they got they get the extra year because of that waiver. Uh, Tyler, one more before we let you go. Uh, let's talk about Coach K. I, I know he's one of your favorite coaches of all time. Just, just let, let's just leave it like this. Me and Josh open like this. What are your thoughts on just like the whole um, effects of like a retirement tour? Like, what are your just thoughts on a retirement tour? I think it's all stupid. As like, so he retired one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. Whatever. Why do? Why? Like, just your thoughts on you know just a retirement tour for Coach K. Here's where I sit, in particular with Saturday. First of all, sports are sports. They're intense, they're fun, but they're not comedy. That What happened on Saturday was comedy. When you start with him walking out and taking his deep breaths as he's walking, I get it's an emotional moment, but then he gets double boxed on ESPN and he... He has, uh, he probably like, God bless the person who had to tell him that Texas and, and Kansas went to overtime. I mean, I, I tweeted out that Chris Beard and Bill Self should be co coaches of the year, national coaches of the year for pulling off this hijinks because that was awesome to get that game to go into overtime um, and just upstage this entire process. But the thing that kind of I, I sort of started to realize is. An event that really only mattered to Duke people became a national problem. And what I mean by that is who cares that Coach K is coaching in his final game at Cameron Indoor outside of Duke fans? Like, no one. No one really cares. I mean, like, yeah, he's a legend, but nobody cares that he's – it's not his – you would have thought that was his last game ever coaching by the, the pomp and circumstance of the entire thing. It's his last game in Cameron Indoor. Not only does he is it not his last game, he has at least two more games to coach. He is going to coach in the ACC tournament at least one game, and he's going to coach in the NCAA tournament at least one game. In all likelihood, he's probably coaching five or six more games, if we're being honest here. So uh, it was just all of it. And then obviously losing to UNC was just sort of the icing on the cake. And just when you thought the icing was on the cake, they brought out another cake by making them go out and have a whole speech at the end of it and in losing fashion and he's shushing fans. And it was just an absolute clown car of an event that entire Saturday. And now there's all this stuff coming out about how people within the Duke program were upset that UNC didn't do more for him. Who cares? That's a, who cares? nobody asked for this nobody asked for this and now you're expecting that that's just that's the duke way that's the duke way and that's the way that it played out it's like purdue honoring bob knight or something like that right they were gonna do do that that. or indiana with gene katie it's not gonna happen yeah i wouldn't expect it for a reason yeah yeah like we're gonna see a number of these legendary coaches step down probably in the next three to five years when you look at the izzos the bayheims Obviously, you see it with Coach K. You just saw it with Roy. Um, like, 
Michigan's not laying out the red carpet for Tom Izzo. All right. If Syracuse were still in the old Big East, UConn's not laying out the red carpet for Jim Beheim. All right. And that's the way that it should. That's part of why college sports are the way that they are, why we love them. It's because of the rivalry factor. And that to me tells you all you need to know. I mean, I don't think that UNC should have done anything for K. And I don't think it, it let's say that Roy Williams's uh, retirement was planned at that point. I would, I don't think Duke should have done anything for Roy either. Like if you want to shower them with gifts on your home floor, okay, go for it. But outside of that, I think it's kind of foolish. Yeah. And I, I think, I think you were in the Twitter thread where it's like, like all the camera shots of all just the fans crying. I was like, what is this a funeral? It's like, who cares? If it was a funeral, you should have worn black. All right. Like that, that's what it should have been. I mean, they wore you. I saw Cookie Monster there. I saw, I mean, my goodness. It was embarrassing. Like humans do that. There are this, this is a cult leader. Like humans, if you were to make this out to be the biggest event in Duke basketball history and you wore a Cookie Monster outfit to that event, like what, what goes on? Like, that that is just the the level of of what Duke basketball is and, and obviously what it means to the fans and stuff. But I mean, my goodness, I, I would have. Why don't you put on like your some Coach K garb or just wear some paint 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 yourself blue? All right, just do something of that Cookie Monster. I mean, the costumes to me is uh, it was hilarious and, and seeing seeing college students cry in all these obscure costumes. Because a guy who's been in their life for three to four years is now leaving. Because remember, Duke, Duke kind of sprays to all fields here. A lot of these kids probably aren't Duke fans until they get to Duke. It was just, it was hilarious to me. The whole thing. It was six hours of pure comedy. Six hours of pure comedy. I, I really wanted... that They waited for hours and days, actually, and months yeah. to get those tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wanted to the the coach K line. What's your major? To the guy in the cookie uh, monster costume, I really want to know what that guy's major is. <laughs> He's maybe, probably, maybe somebody, probably a brilliant person too. They all are. Yeah, they all are. they're no idiots. But when they but come to ESPN, it's it's they're idiots. In the they fall, everyone else. They fall into the cult of Duke basketball. That's what happened. That's what you saw lay out on ESPN. Hey, you wouldn't have even known that there was another game. That there was a game going on. Like you would have thought that was the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade, it, the way that everything was, was all pumped up for for that game. But I mean, thank God for UNC. I mean th- that is, I mean you want to talk about night and day, North Carolina Tar Heels. That's all class, and that's why I I grew up a Carolina fan. Um, and, and just nobody sticks it to to the big man like North Carolina. And that's part of why, I mean, they are everyone's heroes for this season. No doubt in my mind. Mitch Trubisky, UNC grad, you know, is, well, you know, a really good guy. Not a good football player, but a good guy. You know, yeah. just all class. They, they breed all class there. <laughs> Tyler, we, uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, guys. 